0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. I'm Tom Krause. Today, I'm joined by Joanne Schulte-Wall, Jillanne is our Senior Director for Health and Regulatory Policy and ASHP's resident expert on engaging federal agencies. Today, we're going to be discussing a recent federal court win for a pharmacy residency program that sued CMS over threats to its PTY1 residency funding. So the the PTY1 residency funding from Medicare works by compensating hospitals for a portion of their costs that are attributable to their pharmacy residency program. And what's happened in the past few years is we've seen some of the contractors that are hired by the Medicare program, that they're called the, the MAC, MACS, Medicare Administrative Contractors. We've seen those contractors applying new standards for audits of residency programs, and in turn saying that certain costs are disallowed and therefore reimbursement for the residency program would no longer be allowable by, by Medicare. And obviously that's That's hugely detrimental to pharmacy residency training and to the existence of some of those PGY1 residency programs. And and this has really been a core advocacy issue for ASHP to resolve. And so in many of these cases, we saw what we thought was inconsistent application of uh, cost reporting requirements and kind of disorganized and inconsistent um, organization by these auditors. And and what's happened is these disallowances have centered around a requirement that residency programs exercise what CMS refers to as direct control over the residency experience. And auditors have disallowed costs for a range of reasons, including things like having offsite rotations, Having a health system name on the program's diploma or certificate, or having shared payroll systems between the the hospital that's running the uh, the residency program and and a broader system, and we think those those kinds of things are really not what CMS intended. Some of these things are just fundamental to the way health systems operate and to the way residency programs operate. And so we, we've really been pushing. CMS to to clarify some of these issues, and the court case uh, that we'll be discussing, you know, addresses some of those those same issues. So, Jillian, thank you for joining us. Um, can you share a little bit with the listeners about how we've been engaging CMS around this residency funding issue and what we're asking them to clarify?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, this all really kind of started to come to a head in 2019. And after we started hearing from programs who were getting disallowances for their full program outs for some, some for more than one year, when they'd always had clean audits in the past. And so we couldn't figure out what was happening. And as you said, initially, we thought it was a a MAC misinterpretation that was an issue, and it would be fairly easy to kind of clean up. Um, So we reached out to CMS through a letter, and we asked for a meeting and kind of laid out the issue and said, you know, this is going to be really detrimental, because these Residency programs are the pipeline for the next generation of clinical pharmacists, and and they're providing direct patient care. And without these programs, you're going to have a real problem getting the right clinicians into hospitals and health systems and ambulatory care settings. So CMS did agree to meet with us and Tom, you and I went in and we had a conversation with a couple of folks from the payment group for Medicare Part B and then some folks from audit and a couple of other divisions that are sort of ancillarily involved in this stuff. And the kind of key takeaway that we got from that meeting was that the real concern seems to be around this idea of meshing programs. So the the real crux of the pharmacy residency regulation is this idea that the hospital is the operator of the program and that as the operator, it retains full control of the program and it directly incurs all the costs of the program. Where things have gotten a little complicated is over the years, hospitals have been absorbed into larger health systems. So we started to see things like residency completion certificates that had the health system's name rather than the hospital's name. And there's a good reason for that. I mean, you might not know your local hospital's name, but if it's part of, say, the Mayo Clinic system, you know Mayo. So it's, you know, just for the recognition of where you did your training, I think that made a lot of sense to folks. And it didn't change who was operating the day-to-day program. So that was one of the things that we talked to them about. And we kind of laid out a number of things we were seeing. One was this idea that pharmacy residency programs were getting dinged because they were not directly incurring costs because they were basically reimbursing under an MOU another part of the health system for shared costs. And then, you know, they were directly paying them and they were in the end responsible for those costs. So there were a a number of different fact scenarios that we talked through with CMS. And the kind of takeaway from that discussion was they didn't mean to, they weren't trying to destroy the programs. I think they felt like there was a legitimate concern here, but one of the things that we brought up is this idea that the the change they made to the audit guidance went to auditors. Where it didn't go was to ASHP or to any of the pharmacy residency programs directly. And when you read through that guidance, a lot of the things that the programs were getting dinged for would not have been things that you would take away from reading the guidance. They just, it wasn't like there were lists of enumerated things you needed to do. There was definitely a lot of space in in the guidance document for subjective interpretation at the MAC level. So we asked them to look at a list of draft responses to an FAQ for our members to try to provide programs with more clarity as to what CMS was expecting. And that kind of all came to a halt as COVID hit. And we did reach back out to CMS and say, You know, we understand that you're probably not going to promulgate guidance right this second, but you really do need to cease disallowances while we're in the midst of a public health emergency until we can figure this out. And I think to their credit, I do believe a lot of the audits did stop, but that was sort of an across the board thing for CMS, but we're still starting, we're starting to see a trickle in now of disallowances. And we, this, this court case is really going to be a, an important step in, in addressing those and, and kind of fixing this problem once and for all.
0: And, and Jillian, when you say cease disallowances, what, you know, just to, to translate that, what we mean is, you know, stop the agency from clawing back funding by, you know, by saying that certain costs can't be included for reimbursement under the residency program. So, okay, so so Jillian, uh, so let's talk about that court case. So, you know, there's MUSC is one of the institutions that found itself on the wrong side of 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 one of these audits that was that was kind of aggressively interpreting cms's guidance can you just talk about what's happened in that court case and and yeah. how ashp engaged in that uh litigation
1: yeah of course so i think you know first the kind of first takeaway from this court case before we get into the details is that every Every administrative procedure case, which is a case that comes about as a result of a, an agency action, and then um, the person who is being regulated suing the agency over that action is very fact specific. So the MUSC case may not, you know, on the factual basis that it was decided, resemble every single case of disallowance as we've seen. But the overall message from the court is what's going to matter at the end of the day. So for MUSC, it's kind of complicated. They have two different separate entities. There's the university and then there's the medical university hospital authority. And this happens in a lot of health systems where they have separate sort of operating units where they can split things into buckets. A a number of hospitals and health systems, for instance, have a separate entity that employs all the, the physicians and clinicians. So this was MUFC was no different than a lot of other places this way. They had a an MOU uh, between the two divisions that essentially directed that all of the responsibility for the residency program operation would remain with the hospital and that they would share some services between the two of them. So things like payroll. And this is something that we did bring up with CMS: this idea that you're going to have situations where it does not make sense to have two separate payroll systems just because you are operating a residency program. So this this was one part of it. The other part of it was this idea that because of the way that the program was set up, MUSC by default did not operate the residency program. And so um, the court looked at what was kind of laid out in the, in the record, because in these cases, the administrative appeals, you don't have, you're not going to have witnesses come in. You're relying on the record as it stands, from the the appeal to the agency, which is what kickstarts your ability to appeal it to a federal court. And so, the court looked at the the record and said, "Look, so when we look at this, we see your actions as arbitrary and capricious, CMS, for a number of reasons. One, when you look at how MUHA and MUSC are kind of set up." The MOU makes it very clear that the residency program retains full operational authority. And just because there might be some input from another person around certain elements, at the end of the day, the court told CMS that they had to look at how the program actually operated on a daily basis. And they said that CMS had failed to do that. Essentially, there is a piece of the regulation that says that like essentially absent evidence to the contrary, the assumption is the hospital is the operator of the program. And the court found in this case that CMS just did not do enough digging to determine that and that they missed some very substantial facts that indicated quite clearly that MUSC was in fact the operator of the program. And then as to the direct incursion costs, this is a thing that we have seen come up in other cases and will be very important for folks who are facing disallowances on this this element. MUSC and MUHA had some shared services that they were using. And essentially what happened is that the, the residency program didn't immediately incur the cost, they reimbursed the other division for some of their costs after the fact. It was basically an accounting maneuver. It's very common where you just true up expenses at the end of the year. I am not an accounting expert, so I don't know the ins and outs of it, but my understanding is this is not uncommon at all in situations like this where you have split divisions within um, a larger entity. So again, the court looked at that and said, you cannot on that basis determine that they did not directly incur the cost because at the end of the day, The residency program did in fact become fully responsible for the cost. It doesn't matter that somebody directly incurred them first, as long as at the end of the day, the program was responsible for them, which is the case for MEOSC. So on that basis, the court kind of looked at this and said the agency had not done what they needed. They they'd overstepped, that's really what I'm looking for here. They'd overstepped and that they their actions were arbitrary and capricious, which is kind of the standard for regulatory action because. It's important to note that the agencies get a huge degree of deference. It's pretty hard to sue an agency and win. So this was, you know, this was pretty good news for the court to look at this and say very clearly that CMS really didn't meet the mark in terms of how they're interpreting and their regulations as they exist now.
0: So we talked about um, kind of what happened in the MUS case can you maybe give us a little foreshadowing of how that might apply to other PGY1 programs that are that are also facing clawback from, from CMS of, of funding, but you know, maybe didn't do have the exact same structure as MUSC?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things this case is going to do is sort of put CMS in a position that makes it very difficult for them not to act. Because now there is a precedent that essentially says that CMS was in the wrong as to how it interpreted its uh, residency regulations. And so every other case that's brought, that's going to be the controlling precedent. There aren't a whole lot of cases that deal with residency programs, pharmacy residency programs in particular. You might have Medical residency programs, but they're really not analogous to each other completely. So just as a, as a kind of opening salvo with CMS, this is an it opens up the door for us to go in and say, look, the court said you guys were in the wrong. We want to work with you. We drafted this FAQ. Let's start from there and get going. If you want to change the regulations, you're going to have to go through notice and comment. You can't just change the auditor guidance and and then assume that changes the regulations. That's actually not legally permissible. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is I think it's important to look at the the elements in the MUSC case. The idea of direct incursion of costs and the idea of direct control, those are the controlling things in in almost every residency program disallowance we've seen to this point. So the fact that if you had gotten dinged for exactly what MUSC did, which was reimbursing another entity for costs associated with your program after the fact and truing those up at the end of the year, this is basically a home run for you. Cause you can say, look, the court already said you were wrong about this. So you're going to have to reverse that disallowance. Yeah.
0: So 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 just to make sure I understand Jillian. So so if someone, if there's another program that's in the exact same situation as MUSC, obviously this court case is is good for good for them. But it also seems like, you know, programs that have other Things that an auditor might consider an indication of control by another entity probably are not going to hold up either. So, like if the CEO signed CEO of the health system signed a residency completion certificate or if the health system's name is on the the certificate, things like that. it sounds like if if sharing of services is, permissible, then it seems like some of these other, a little more superficial things probably are are permissible as well.
1: Yeah, I think it all kind of boils down to this idea of the court looking at what MUSC had done and saying, look, CMS, you just didn't look closely enough at the day-to-day operations. Because, you know, if the issue is, and then some disallowances have been predicated solely on the fact that a CEO signed a completion certificate, that has absolutely nothing to do with the day-to-day operation of the program. And so I think CMS would be in a, in a tough position to say, okay, well, yeah, we looked at all the facts here and we decided that based on this one thing and ignoring every other element that suggests that the program has control, you don't control the program. I think they're gonna that's going to be really tricky for them. And I think it's, this is really going to make it tough for them to maintain some of these disallowances.
0: And so, as you mentioned, we're we're, we're following up with CMS and I, I just also want to flag that, you know, if there are programs out there um, listening to this discussion and you think it would be helpful for ASHP to, to work with you, to explain to the court uh, in your situation some of the gaps in, in explanation from CMS, uh, please let us know. That is something that we work with MUSC on. We'd be happy to work with other programs to make sure that courts understand where CMS has and has not provided meaningful guidance to programs.
1: Yeah, I think I, maybe I buried the lead a little bit here, but one of the things that we did in the MUSC case was submit an amicus brief, which is a friend of the court brief. And so we weren't a party to the litigation. We wouldn't have had standing, but we were able to submit a, a brief that kind of provided a lot of context to the court that they wouldn't have gotten from the record. So really an overview of how residency programs work. I mean, it was interesting with CMS. One of the things that came up was this idea that there was going to be a diploma or degree granted at the end of a residency program. And that's, you know, you have to have a degree to go into a residency program. There is no additional degree that comes with your residency program. So, you know, it's that kind of like back ground detail information that really fills out an understanding of how residency programs work that wasn't in the record that our amicus brief provided to the court. And I think the court did find it useful. And I think that's something that can translate into a lot of other situations. We're happy to share that with folks on our site, but we're also happy to work with you one-on-one because as we noted earlier, everything that we have seen with residency programs is fact-specific. So there's very rarely going to be two cases that are exactly the same.
0: Yeah, and and as Jillian mentioned, you know we're continuing to kind of reach out to CMS. We expect that this case will sort of precipitate some action from from CMS, and uh, you know we'll 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 come back on the podcast to share an update with you as that plays out. So Jillian, thank you for your work on this issue and and supporting pharmacy residency programs, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you.